From the Salvation Army, welcome to the Holiness Podcast with Lieutenant Colonel Vern Jewett. In this monthly Bible study, we'll be exploring God's gift of holiness, which is offered to every Christian. To download this month's study guide, visit us at salvationarmysoundcast.org holiness. Hi, this is Vern Jewett, and this is the Holiness Podcast, and we welcome you to join us in an in-depth Bible study on scriptural holiness. Uh, it's been a month since we've been together, and uh, this is our 20th podcast. So we have been uh, now doing this for 20 months, and uh, we encourage you to uh, respond in the ways that are available to you uh, to get the study notes and to tell your friends about it and come and join us as we look at uh, the holy life, as we are commanded to live separate, set apart for God uh, throughout his word. Now, today we're going to uh, do what I love to do. We've only done it three or four times, but we have two texts, one from the Old Testament and one from the New Testament. And we're going to begin by jumping right into the Old Testament text, which will be our primary text. It's the story of God calling Abraham when he was Abram. And if you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn to Genesis, the 12th chapter. This is a very interesting story, and we're going to look at... uh, basically chapter 12 and the calling of Abram. And then we're going to look at the lessons that we draw out of that and apply to our daily lives. And then we're going to go to 1 Peter, where uh, two short passages in chapter 1 and chapter 2 remarkably echo the same themes. And that's not to be... uh, Surprised, We certainly shouldn't be surprised. That's to be expected since God's hand has directed the wonderful provision of the Bible. And the God of the Old Testament is the God of the New Testament. And he is the one God. So uh, that's what we'll be doing. And if you have turned to Genesis 12, I actually want to begin in chapter 11, the last two verses... Uh, telling the first part of the story. So if you'd like to follow along, this is the New International Version. Terah took his son Abram, his grandson Lot, son of Haran, and his daughter-in-law Sarah, the wife of his son Abram, and together they set out from Ur of the Chaldeans to go to Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. Terah lived 205 years, and he died in Haran. Now, I want you to observe with me. They set out to go to Canaan, and for some reason, they got to Haran, and they settled there. Now, we don't know the rest of the story, but it seems like Terah almost had to die before they could continue on the trip. Haran means a place of halting. The location is on the same side of the Euphrates. They are not yet to the jumping off place. 
Now, Lord, uh, help us to put flesh and blood on these personalities. Abram is going to become Abraham, the father of nations and our spiritual father. And this is where he started. So that brings us to verse 1 of chapter 12. The Lord had said to Abram, leave your country, your people, and your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. Now, God had said, in other words, as was hinted to in the verse we already read, Abram had instructions from the Lord, and God told him, get out of thy country. That's the familiar. That's what he's identified with. That's the known. That's the seen. Leave thy people. There's his settled security. And it's good for us to try to put ourselves into Abram's shoes. Leave thy father's house. That's the secure. That's the family. That's the commonplace. There's no risk there. Leave all of that and go unto a land that I will show you. Now, the first thing we would observe is that what he was to leave was clear. What he was to come to was hazy. So God had instructed Abram, but Abram had not yet obeyed. You see, the choice you and I make every day is to obey, to be obedient to God, to give him control of our life. We will never be set apart, which is the root meaning of holy for God, if we have to have everything clear when we start. I want to use an illustration from a classic text by John Bunyan called Pilgrim's Progress. Now, there may be some of you who have encountered uh, that text. It can be kind of tough reading. It's old English. But... If you persevere, it is filled with great scriptural truths. It's about a man named Pilgrim, appropriately named, you'll see for this lesson. And let me read for you. Pilgrim has a burden. He doesn't know how to get rid of it. So he comes to evangelists on the way, who says to him, Do you see that wicker gate yonder? Pilgrim says, No, I don't. Well, uh, do you see the light that emanates from it? Yes, I think I do. An evangelist says to Pilgrim, then fasten your gaze on it and go to it. He didn't have a clear view of where he was going. He said, I think I see the light. But the promise of evangelists was the gate is there. Let me say it again. We will never be set apart for God if we have to have it all worked out before we make a move. Ever been there? Ever been in unknown territory? I believe, having been a pastor for a long time, that some of us listening at this moment know that God is asking us to step out in faith, perhaps to commit a secret part of our hearts to him an addiction, or a spiritually unhealthy habit. Or perhaps 
we know that God is asking us to step up and serve him, maybe in our church in a specific way. But we're hesitant because it's unknown territory. Let's go back and read verse 1 and read on through verses 2 and 3 as we explore Abram's story. The Lord had said to Abram, leave your country, your people, and your father's household and go to the land I will show you. And then listen to these promises. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram is told, Go from your country into a land, and I will take you, a solitary man, and make you into a great nation. Now, I want you to notice something which I think is very important. Verse 1 starts out by saying, the Lord had said. Now, let's speak down to verse 7. We'll get there for real in a few minutes. But in verse 7, it says, the Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your offspring, I will give this land. Now, you'd think it'd be the other way around, that the Lord would first appear and then he would speak. The truth is, my years as a pastor have taught me that many people are looking for an appearing of God. Can't tell you how many times people have said, well, when the Lord appears to me or tells me something specific, then I'll listen to his voice. But every person who is seeking an open, intimate relationship with God, seeking holiness, begins here. Someone has said you will never, never find the unknown will of God until you act upon the known. I remember General Branwell Tilsley of the Salvation Army saying that consecration comes in two packages, the known and the unknown. And we must give them both to the Lord. So God gave Abram a command. And he doesn't appear until after his word is obeyed. Now this lesson and holiness is all about obedience and fidelity. There's a beautiful song written by a Salvation Army musician entitled, I Want to Say Yes to the Lord of my life. Not, I want the Lord of my life to say yes to me. We can certainly apply this truth to so many things. God has told us in his word. All of us are in a place where we need to be obedient to what God has already said to us. For example, in John 20, 21, Jesus said, as the Father has sent me, so send I you. Go into the highways and byways and compel them to come in. Interestingly, he goes on to say, and with that, he breathed on them, his disciples, and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Holiness and obedience are linked. Malachi 2.5 is another great text. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. My wouldn't that transform our congregations? 
if we all brought the whole tithe into the storehouse and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have room enough for it. I want you to notice in our story that this is the very first appearance of God to a man since the fall. All Abram had was a word from the Lord. Now, let's read verse 4 as we're going on. So Abram left as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. You see, Terah died at the place of halting. I can't help it as a preacher. There's just a lot of people who die at the place of halting halfway between Ur and Canaan. You remember verse 1? The Lord had said, I believe there's a lot of churches being held back, stopped at Haran, because we do not step out in obedience to God's calling. Verse 5, as we read on, He took his wife Sarah, his nephew Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated and the people they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. Well, that's a great understatement. They set out, and they arrived. Between them and Canaan, there were mountains, there were deserts. They had to cross the Jordan River. They were going to a place where Naboo stands today, where Bethel is. But all it says is they went forth and they arrived. The start and the finish. I think sometimes it can be a healthy perspective to ask what really matters. And what matters is that we finish. There's nothing else about this part of the journey. I am well past the point that I can uh, deny being part of the senior population. I have to tell you, conversations change as you get older. We like to talk about our misery along the way. We like to talk about doctors and operations. Well, all of this is enough to keep the forward look. You remember Paul, forgetting those things which are behind and looking forward to that which is ahead. Now, let's read verses 6 to 9. Abram traveled through the land as far as the site of the great tree of Morah at Shechem. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord, who had appeared to him. From there he went on toward the hills east of Bethel and pitched his tent, with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. There he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. Then Abram set out and continued toward the Negev, which is the south. Notice, did you catch that? God said, to your offspring, I will give this land. This is the first time on the whole trip after he got there that he knew he was there. Abram now knows that he's in the place God wants him. 
Let's apply that for just a moment. <laughs> I was thinking about it. A lot of us can take real joy in the knowledge that you may get there and be there before God convinces you you're there or you realize you're there. Actually, I don't think that's very unusual for many Christians. Now, let's read between the lines. God said to Abram, you're here. You remember the words in Hebrews 11, 9, that's the great chapter of faith about this particular story. In verse 9, it says, By faith, Abram made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. Wow, that's a powerful biblical motif that is very important to today's lessons. We are sojourners. We are people on a journey. We are always en route. And God says, finally, this is the place. Now let's read between the lines a little bit. I remember over 40 years ago, I used to stay up late at night and listen to Dr. Gene Scott. Some of you may be old enough to remember Dr. Scott. He ministered via television out on the West Coast. He was a bit of an eccentric fella, but he had some wonderful biblical knowledge and he always challenged me. And uh, I remember him talking about this text and uh, surmising how Abram would have reacted to God saying, you're here. He could envision Abram saying, it doesn't look like it to me. Why? Well, the Canaanites are there. The Perizzites are there. The Hittites are there. What do you mean? Who are those birds? I remember Dr. Scott saying, you said you'd give me a land for me and mine. Who are they? You see, Abram had an opportunity here to express continued faith in spite of the circumstances, to believe God or not to believe God. Now, a lot of us here listening have had the faith to step out and then discover that what you got was less than what you thought you'd have. The temptation is to forget that you are always en route. You are a sojourner. We are pilgrims. And so, in verse 7, we read, He built an altar there unto the Lord. What do you and I do when we confront the place God has us? Let's get the picture here because it catapults us straight to the heart of this lesson. There are two phrases that characterize the life of Abram. He pitched and he builded. What did he pitch? His tent. We read that. Verse 8. He went on toward the hills east of Bethel and he pitched his tent. What did he build? He builded an altar. 
Now, how many of us who are listening and studying today know that it's easier to pitch than it is to build? What you pitch is less permanent than what you build. What does that tell you about Abram? That he pitched his tent and he built it an altar. Now we're at the heart of the lesson here, so let's stop and reflect very carefully. His tent is his home, the shelter from the sun and storm. It typifies, in other words, is a type of our earthly residence. It typifies our relationship, as it did for Abram, his relationship to this earth. The altar, on the other hand, is a place of worship, a place of sacrifice, a place of communion, a place of death to self. The altar typifies our relationship with God. Now, friends, the tent, that one you pitch, it's temporary. It is not your home. The altar, this one you build, it is permanent. It is your home. In Zerubbabel's time, there were those who started but didn't finish they builded for a while, then they stopped their building for 15 years until they were aroused by Haggai. You can read about it in Ezra. What was wrong? Well, in essence, they builded their house and they pitched toward God. What is wrong with many Christians and many churches today? I don't think it's a, a brazen statement. I think it's pretty obvious that many build our houses and foundations and relationships to this earth, and it's with God that our relationship is unsteady, unstable, temporary, and loose. There's a key to Abram's response. God said, go. And Abram went, not knowing where he went. What do you and I do when we confront the realities of the place where God has called us? Well, for Abram, he was going up. Verse 7, he built an altar. He continued on the way. In verse 8, he built an altar after pitching a tent. And then in verse 9, he was going on still toward the south. You see, uh, going up, it's all uphill, this trip he was making geographically until he gets to Jerusalem. Now let's stop for a moment and go to our New Testament teaching because we have uncovered the major themes and lessons and now we want to view it through the eyes of Peter. I'm reading from 1 Peter chapter 1 and chapter 2. Now let me say a word about studying the Old Testament and New Testament together. There's a very important principle of interpretation. You always interpret the Old Testament in light of or through the eyes of the New Testament. That's because of what we call progressive revelation. 
The New Testament completes the Old. It is the newer and final revelation, except, of course, for Christ himself. The beautiful book of Hebrews has that at its theme. If you don't interpret the Old Testament through the eyes of the New, you'll find yourself on some very shaky ground. I could give you many examples, but uh, that's for another day. Listen to 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 15 to 19. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Now, just let me say, that's a quotation from several different places in Leviticus. Going on. For you know that it was not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. Now this is Peter, decades after the death and resurrection of Jesus, writing to the dispersed Christians around the Mediterranean world. Notice that Peter takes up all the key things that have emerged out of our study of Abram back in Genesis 11. Be holy, set apart. Your heart must be turned toward God. Build the altar of your heart. Secondly, live your lives as strangers here in reverent fear. Sojourners, strangers, pilgrims, an interesting word we'll encounter in a moment, aliens. And then thirdly, Peter says, it was not with perishable things that you were redeemed. Not the temporary passing things, not the tent, but the permanent imperishable things, the altar. Now let's read chapter 2, verses 9 to 11. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Dear friends, I urge you, as aliens and strangers in the world to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. Notice that here Peter's taken up all the same themes again that emerged out of our study. And here's a reprise of it. We're a holy nation. We're a people that belong to God. We were not a people at one point, but we were formed into being God's people by faith and light of the redemptive work of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm reminded of Philippians 3, 19 and 20, where it says, Paul says, our citizenship is in heaven. 
Paul was contrasting here those whose God is their stomach and whose mind is on earthly things when he says, but our citizenship is in heaven. The church has always been a colony of heaven. We're going to talk next time in continuing to talk about being a resident alien. We're going to talk about what it means to be a holy nation, a people who are defined across the world. You see, the boundaries between nations that we observe are not important once we have become part of the children of God. We are part of a people who are not a people. And there's a lot to say and consider about nationalism and how it can undermine. Because you see, if God is not first, if anything else is first, be it family, people, country, then we have committed idolatry. Like Abraham in our story, the Jews would understand this. There were some Jewish Christians, certainly, but especially in the dispersion, when they were cast around the Mediterranean world, they were well acquainted with what it meant to live as strangers in a strange land, always trying to stake out a living on someone else's turf. There was a wonderful book written by Stanley Hauerwas and William Willimon. It was very influential and important back in 1989. It was often listed among the 10 or 20 most influential books of those decades. In fact, it was updated, a 25th anniversary updating in 2014, all about the implications of our teaching today. It was called Resident Aliens. The authors say at the beginning, our citizenship, when we are converted, is transferred from one dominion to another. And we become, in whatever culture we find ourselves, resident aliens. This lesson and supremely important truth is all about holy living, about our obedience to God, about our fidelity to God, about choosing what is permanent, what is imperishable, about building our altar and serving the living God. I want to share some thoughts on this passage from a sermon by a a friend of mine. Uh, Dr. Dan Boone is the present president of Trevecca Nazarene University. He's a gifted writer. And I just want to share this because it it kind of fleshes out this lesson we've been uh, broaching and trying to understand. He says, we meet Abraham on the way to a promised place. God said, get out of this country and go to a land I will show you. I will bless you there. Abram hit the road. U-Haul would have loved him. (laughs) He lived and died looking for the promised land. So did his son and grandson. The lives of three men and their generations are revolved around the pursuit of this place. 
A famine drove the fourth generation into Egypt, and we find them surviving there under the care of Joseph in the shadow of the Sphinx. These men and their families are known as sojourners. To be a sojourner means that you're living somewhere, but that is not where you're headed. You are a resident alien, an outsider. You have no citizen rights. You never fully belong. Sojourners settle for a while. You pitch some tents, raise some kids, herd some cows, dig some wells and make some memories. No one forces you to be there. Matter of fact, the folks back in Ur would gladly welcome you home and give you some permanent turf with a title. But you're headed somewhere else. God has promised you. Life as a sojourner is risky, adventurous, exciting. You wander from nation to nation, kingdom to kingdom. You meet kings, some hospitable, some downright rude. But God protects you. You are captivated by the promise of a God you trust. The life of a sojourner is characterized by trust. Now here's a picture in the next month's lesson. You are not grasping for land. You don't organize occupying armies. You don't form tribal coalitions. You're too small to put a big scare into landowners. So you just trust the God who has promised you. Sojourners aren't anxious about taking. They specialize in trusting. Well, Abram didn't know as much as you know. This is a very important point. There's not a child of God. There's not a believer listening to this podcast that does not have more to build on than Abram did, that doesn't know more about God than Abram knew. Abram went not knowing where he was going. He left the clear and the stable for the hazy and the uncertain. That's why from going up, he went down to Egypt. Now, there's one more important point that I want to make as we finish up the story in Genesis 12, actually slides into 13. If, if you'll go back with me for a minute, we made a point that the appearance comes after the word. You see, God has given us his word. And people of faith, people who follow Jesus, are people of the word. We act upon the word of God, which has been given to us. If that's the first lesson, the second lesson is that very often, once the appearance comes, failure follows after it. You remember the story of Elijah, Mount Carmel, his greatest moment when fire came down and consumed the sacrifice he had poured water all over. The greatest outcoming of God's power in the life of Elijah was just a prelude to his almost immediate failure at Jezreel. As I have grown in the Lord, I have tried to rivet this truth into my conscious walk of faith. There's something about the appearing, the outpouring, the supernatural, the wonderful, 
the miraculous, whatever it may be, that causes us to take our eye off the rudder and start relying on the seen instead of the unseen. It was after the appearing that Abram came apart. As a pastor, I've learned that our antennas must be up after the outpouring of the Spirit of God. If ye thinketh ye stand, take heed, lest ye fall. Why is this important? Because being obedient and being faithful means that we should build the expectation of trial following the appearance and outpouring into our journey of faith. We are forewarned, and we can be forearmed. If Abram had done so, he would have known that nothing could be worse than the desert he had come through, and he would not have done what he did. We're going to read... Uh, Chapters, uh, verses 11 to 13. Now there was a famine in the land, verse 10 actually, and Abram went down to Egypt to live there for a while because the famine was severe. As he was about to enter Egypt, he said to his wife Sarah, I know what a beautiful woman you are. When the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is my wife. Then they will kill me, but let you live. Say that you are my sister so that I will be treated well for your sake, and my life will be spared because of you. When Abram came to Egypt, the Egyptians saw that she was a very beautiful woman. And the story goes on from there. Maybe you're familiar with it. It's only a few more verses. You can finish reading it. Can you believe it? Abraham lies. The father of faith perpetrates a lie. Some would ask, well, wasn't he justified in leaving Canaan because of the famine? And the answer is no, because God had told him back in verse 7, this is the place. It didn't matter that it didn't look like it. It didn't matter that the Canaanites were there. Abram went looking for a better place. We desperately need the daily, the daily guidance of the Holy Spirit if we're going to live in victory and overcome temptation. The lesson is expect the circumstances of your life to deny God's will. Yes, that's what I said. Expect your circumstances to deny God's will. Faith, you see, is the evidence of things not seen. All of us have the experience of uh, being in the pressure cooker. What we do when we get there? Too many times we run away. Let me ask you, are you accepting that where you are is the place? Are you building your altar in your heart? Are you saying yes to the Lord of your life? Richard Halverson says we want the product without the process. And because the process is tough when we're in the pressure cooker that will bring forth God's will, we want to get out of it. The message is this. Someone needs to hear this today. This is where God wants you. Don't go looking for somewhere else. Don't go looking for a church or a gospel that will make it easy on you. Stay in these bottom lands. 
Who said it would be easy? When God, unless God, has given you new directions, where you are, believer, is where God wants you. When the pressure came on, Abram went down to Egypt and he sinned. He was not obedient. Let me ask you a question. Anytime you've built your altar and are seeking God in your life first and foremost, has he ever failed you? The problems always come when a famine causes us to look down toward Egypt. Now, the last lesson of the Genesis story is in the first four verses of chapter 13, the journey back. That's a beautiful thing. Abram comes back. He comes back and he was rich from his experience in Egypt. This is next month's lesson too, but let me say, sometimes you can be distracted and diverted and get off the path of faith and you can have some temporary material prosperity that will make it appear right, but God's ways are not our ways. A trip down to Egypt may get some things for you that may ease the pressure, but it will lead you into sin. Let me read these four verses at the beginning of Genesis chapter 13. Excuse me for switching back and forth in my big Bible to the Old Testament text. So Abram went up from Egypt to the south with his wife and everything he had and Lot went with him. Abram had become very wealthy in livestock and silver and gold. From the Negev, he went from place to place until he came to Bethel, to the place between Bethel and Ai, where his tent had been earlier and where he had first built an altar. There, Abram called on the name of the Lord. That's not accidental language, folks. Until the place where his tent had been earlier, and where he had built an altar. Here's a wonderful truth. Vern Jewett, all you have to do to get it back together again is go back to the place where it began. The tent and the altar. The altar affirms God's absolute lordship of my life. And the tent, our availability our looseness in our identification with the world. God's word is so simple sometimes. From the place of the tent, Egypt, back to the place of the altar, Canaan. Now, it still doesn't look like the place to Abram. The Canaanites and Perizzites and Hittites are still there, and there's a famine in the land. It doesn't look like the place of blessing. But the obedient heart, the person seeking the living relationship set apart for Jesus hangs in there in spite of the circumstances. And may I just say, if there's no testing in the circumstances, if everything is seen results, then it's not faith at all. 
the place we are must be a place of obedience and fidelity that we hang on to. I love the little chorus we sing so often, Spirit of the living God, fall fresh on me. Break me, melt me, mold me, fill me. By building the altar in our heart, we are choosing what is permanent. We are choosing what is not perishable. We are choosing to be set apart. We are seeking holiness of heart. Thank you for listening and being with us. I pray that this study has been encouraging to you. It is God's will that we live lives set apart for Him. I hope you have a wonderful month ahead of you, and I look forward to studying with you again next time. Thanks so much for listening, and we'd love to hear from you. Share your thoughts, questions, or prayer requests. Visit us at SalvationArmySoundcast.org slash holiness. And if you're enjoying this Bible study, share it with a friend. They can subscribe wherever they get their podcasts. Thank you.